Real Cuff Radio is about to begin. Everybody loves a hero. I believe there's a hero in all of us. Welcome to Real Cuff Radio. Tonight we have a special guest who has a great testimony. Um, her name is Crystal McVeigh. Hi, Crystal. Hello, how are you? Wonderful. Thank you for joining us this evening. And uh, we just want to let you, instead of telling your story, you're the best one to tell it. And if you would want to go ahead and just start wherever. Well, one last thing I should mention, though, is that Crystal has written a book called Waking Up in Heaven. And that's why we made contact with her for her to, to tell us about what she written in her book. So if you want to go ahead and uh, just tell us wherever you feel like starting. Sure. It's all so good. Well, I usually start on December 10th, 2009. I was a teacher, a wife, a mom of four kids, and I had been admitted into the hospital. Um, I went in for a routine procedure that went a little bit wrong, I woke up from the procedure with pancreatitis and they admitted me into the hospital. The only thing they could really do for it was um, put me on pain medication and just monitor me. So my husband had gone back to work. Um, my mom came up and stayed the day with me at the hospital and little did we know that um, in a few short hours uh, I would be taking my last breath. A little after 1 o'clock in the afternoon, my body went into a respiratory arrest. I quit breathing. My heart quit pumping. And they called the code blue to revise me. Um, the doctors and the team of nurses worked for approximately 9 to 10 minutes um, to revise me, to get my body working again. But I don't remember any of that. The, the last thing I remember was laying in that hospital bed and a piece that surpasses all understanding came over me. I knew what was happening. And with the last bit of air in my lungs, I told my mom that I loved her, and I closed my eyes, and I died. Uh, I immediately opened my eyes at that same moment, and I woke up in heaven. I knew exactly where I was. I knew who I was. I knew what was happening back in that hospital room, but I also knew that I was in this most perfect realm um, Immediately, I was greeted by two angels that stood in front of me and to my left, and we began to talk. I was so excited to see them. I knew them. I knew that they had always been with me. All knowledge was, um, in a sense, downloaded to me in, a, in an instant. And I can remember just talking to them and being so excited to see them, and, but thought was how we talked. We did not talk with words. Um, it was all done with emotions and thought, and it was the most perfect version of communication that I've ever experienced. And then I became aware of another presence um, in this, I call it a tunnel, but really there, when I think of a tunnel, you always think of a, of a darkness with a light at the end, but this tunnel, I was just surrounded in the most beautiful light, and I used the color white only because it's the closest color that we have here on earth. And so as I stood in this tunnel, I became aware of another presence. 
to my right, and I turned uh, to face him, and immediately I recognized whose presence I was in. I was standing in front of a brilliantly profuse uh, fusion of light, of, of a white golden light, and immediately I knew that I was in the presence of God, and I fell straight to my face. And I raised my hands to him, and I said, why? Um, growing up, I had a lot of questions for this God. If, if he was real, I wasn't. That was this part of my story that um, I kept hidden for so long. I went to church my whole life. I was raised in the Bible Belt. But I was sexually abused from the ages of 3 to 12. And so on those Sundays when I would go to church, I would hear the pastor say, you know, if you accept Jesus Christ uh, as your Savior, he will save you. So for an eight-year-old who's being sexually abused, I ran to the front of the church wanting to be saved, and I was baptized that night. Um, unfortunately, the filth of my life, you know, continued, and it wasn't very long before I felt like maybe I had done something wrong. And so by the age of 12, I had been baptized three times. Uh, or yeah, four times actually in three different denominations. And so at the age of 12, when the abuse continued, um, I decided that I had a couple options. Either one, God was real and he didn't love me for some reason because he hadn't saved me, or two, God wasn't real. And both of those left me feeling very alone and empty. I talked to God. I talked to Jesus every day of my life. Um, and really what it came down to was that I doubted he loved me more than I really doubted if he was there. And so I ended up I mean, at 13 wanting to take my own life, uh, trying to take my own life. By 17, I was pregnant. Um, I can remember so much shame washed over me having to tell my father who my parents had been divorced my whole life. And, and I can remember two years later, finding out that I was pregnant again, and I was terrified. I couldn't tell my parents. I felt like I had nowhere to go. And I began to listen to a little voice um, that told me there was only one way out. There was only one way um, to walk through this. And I can remember at 19 years old walking out of that abortion clinic and feeling completely shattered and broken in every possible way. And I remember telling God, if you're real, you could never love somebody like me anyway. By the age of 21, I had been married and divorced and I had a second child and I was pretty set on the fact that um, this was how my relationship with God would always be. I went to church and wasn't even sure he was listening. When I was 27, I met a man and we were married. Uh, first Christian I'd ever dated in my entire life and he was so different from any other uh, man who had ever been in my, in my life. We were married for five years when I asked if he would ever want his own biological children. Uh, he said yes, and so we started the process. And I can remember going into my bathroom one night and crying and, and begging God and, and begging him not to punish my husband for, for my sins. And, and I said, you know, God, I'll know without a shadow of a doubt that you're real if we get pregnant. And a few short months later, we were pregnant. And I went back into that prayer, and I said, but I'll really know you're, you're real if, if it's twins. 
And a couple of weeks later, we found out that we were having twins. And then I went back and I said, but I'll really know God. I'll really know you're real if it's a boy and a girl. And we found out we were having a boy and a girl. You know, I put all of these hurdles up in front of God, knowing um, full well that if he answered them, all it did was bring me closer to the, the one question that I had. I went back to that prayer and I said, God, I'll really know you're real if one has blue eyes and one has green. My husband is the most beautiful black man that anybody could ever uh, lay eyes on. And he has the most beautiful, deep brown eyes. And so I knew that what I had asked of God um, was impossible. Our twins were born three and a half months early. And as we sat next to their um, incubators in the NICU, you know, each of them just weighed about two pounds. They didn't give us a very good prognosis for either. And it would be 12 days before we could hold them. And I prayed frantically during this time. My husband prayed. And the first time we got to hold them, Willow opened her eyes, and she had the most beautiful green eyes that I'd ever seen. And later that evening, when we held Micah, we got to see his beautiful blue eyes. You know, that right there should have been enough for me to believe that God was real, that he was listening. And instead, faced with the the possibility of our, one or both of our children not surviving, um, I turned. I turned my back on God. I, My husband and I quit praying on the exact same day. My prayer ended with, if you take one of my children, I will hate you for the rest of my life. My husband's prayer ended with, your will be done. We came home four months later with um, two little healthy babies, and my relationship with God was more strained than ever. All of the questions that I had had throughout my life began to resurface. Um, What kind of God? What kind of God allows children to be sexually abused and doesn't stop it? What kind of God could love somebody like me after they took a child's life? Um, Where? Where are you? Why don't you stop the, the evil that's going on? And most importantly, why don't you love me? And so 10 months later, as I laid in that hospital bed and closed my eyes, I would get to meet the God that I had been asking these questions of. And as I laid in front of him in that place, and I raised my hands, I said, why didn't I do more for you? Because in that moment, I wasn't meeting God. I recognized him. My spirit recognized its creator and all lies and deception were gone. There was nothing but truth. And the truth was that I loved this God. I loved God more than I could ever imagine as a human. And his love, tangible, physical love began to bathe me. I knew that I was where I I longed to be. And I remember laying in that tunnel and worshiping him and and looking down towards the end of the tunnel, and again, all knowledge was given to me. Communication with God was just like it was with the angels. It was all with emotion and thought, um, not with physical words. And as I looked down, I, I noticed at the end of the tunnel, it became very, very bright, um, even brighter than the light I was standing in. And God told me, once we get there, you can't come back. 
And I knew that I was looking at the entrance into heaven. And so people will say, well, why do you call the place you're in heaven if you hadn't gone into the entrance? Because I don't know what else to call it. Because I wasn't here on earth. I wasn't in my physical form. And I was with God and angels. And so I call it heaven. But as I looked at that gate, I knew that once I crossed through that entrance, that there was no going back. And in that moment, he showed me a vision of my four children. At the time, my oldest two were 13 and 11, and my twins were just 10 months old. And he reminded me of a time that I sat in church when the pastor said, you're to love God above all else. And in my head, very quietly, I said, if you're real, I would never love you more than my children. And in that moment, he gave me a choice to go back and to be their mother because I had proclaimed that I loved them more than I would ever love him or I could stay with him and walk into my eternity. And he showed me a few things. He showed me that the plan for my children's life was perfect, just like all of our life plans are perfect. And that doesn't make sense as a human because that doesn't make sense to my girlfriend who just buried her child three months before he was supposed to graduate high school. It doesn't make sense to the widow who lost her husband and has three small children. How is God's plan perfect? And what God showed me was that although he does not stop the free will of humans, and often that is how we are hurt is by the free will of other humans, that he never leaves us. And that in the end, he takes all things, um, even the most horrendous things, and he makes good. He brings all things to goodness. He showed me that my children would never be alone, that he would always be with them, that he would never leave them. He showed me that I was not truly leaving them, that in every sense, I was still going to be very much a part of their life, um, almost more so than I could be here on earth. And most importantly, he showed me that I had eternity with them and that I would see them again. And he gave me the choice. And in that moment, I chose to stay with him. And just like that, the vision of my children disappeared. And my two angels on my left and God to my right, we continued um, down this tunnel towards the gates of heaven. And then I saw her, this little girl, probably three or four years old, and she was so different than anything that I've experienced so far. You know, when I looked at the angels, I could only make out their silhouette because so much golden, beautiful light was flowing off of them. The same with God. I never saw his face. I never saw him in a physical form. I was in his presence. Yet she was completely human. And I remember looking at her, and she had on this white dress with yellow flowers and she had a little white basket, and the yellow of the flowers on her dress began to prism in this white tunnel that we were in, and it made the most beautiful prism effect. And then she would take her basket, and she would dip it in the light at her feet, and she would dump the basket out, and the water or the light would cascade like water, and she would throw her head back, and she would laugh. And I remember instantly knowing um, a few things. I knew that she was mine. I knew that I loved her, that I would give my life for her, that 
I could, and I remember looking at her laughing, and I remember saying, I could gain all happiness just from watching you smile. And I remember my spirit began to swell with love and with pride for her. And at one point, um, I felt that I was actually, my spirit was going to explode, that I could not contain the love I had for this child. And right before I felt like that was going to happen, um, it was almost as if I was wearing, like, glasses, you know, and God removed them from my eyes, you know. And I looked back down at her, and instantly I recognized her as me. And God said, this is what I've tried to tell you your whole life. That God allowed me to see myself through his eyes. And I tell people, you know, if his love is represented on this earth by every grain of sand, he gave me one grain of his love. And even as a spirit, I couldn't contain it. And he did something for me in that moment. You know, he could have said, Crystal, I've always loved you. But instead, he allowed me to view it, to see myself through his eyes, to see how immense his love is for us. And it was no accident that he showed me my three-year-old self because that was the age that the enemy's lies began to penetrate into my soul, into my mind. That was the age that the sexual abuse began. And that was the age that I began to question why God didn't love me. And he did something in that moment that 33 years of therapy had never been able to do. He healed me from the inside out, and he freed me with the truth. And just like that, I was completely made whole and ready to enter into my eternity with him. And as we walked towards the gate, uh, I heard my mom scream. I heard her cry my name, and I remember stopping and looking at God, and I said, she doesn't know. She doesn't know that I'm okay. She doesn't know where I'm at. And I said, can I please go tell her that I'm okay? I had no intention of returning uh, to my life. I simply wanted my mom to be calmed. I wanted her to know that I was okay, that in reality I was more alive than I had ever been. And God told me, he said, the choice is up to you. And so I turned from him and from the entrance uh, to heaven to go and find where my mother's voice was coming from. I could hear um, hear her from below me. And when I turned, he said, tell them what you can remember. And I remember calling back over my shoulder and I said, well, I'll remember everything, and I'll be right back. And the next thing I, I knew, I, I looked down at the floor of this beautiful tunnel I was standing in, and the only way I could describe it is to say that it was as if I was standing on a million shimmering, watery diamonds, a gold so beautiful that, that I could see straight through. And the minute that I became aware of the floor, that I was standing on, I opened my eyes back in the hospital room. It took me a few minutes to um, remember how to talk because I had just come from a realm where I didn't need to use human words. And the doctors and nurses were still working, and they would ask me, do you know where you are? Do you know your name? And, and as soon as I could remember how to use words, I began to tell them that I was okay, that I was in heaven, that I was with God. And as, as much as I protested and asked them to stop um, CPR so I could return, they did not. 
And I knew, I knew after about the third time that my eyes opened, I knew that I wasn't going back. And that really started the next part of my journey. That that started um, my longing for God. And I held on to what he had told me, which was, tell them what you could remember. It took about a year for me to really open up and tell my whole story, my childhood and my abortion, that had all been secrets that I had and would have taken to my grave. And so delicately, God began to lead me through that journey of sharing my story. And what I learned was, is that the enemy, um, Satan, I call him the enemy, you know, he uses some of the same lies on all of us. He keeps us quiet um, with secrets because then we can't compare that he's really not original. I thought that I was the only one that had ever been through what I had gone through as a child, but statistics show us that one in four girls will be sexually assaulted, sexually abused by the age of 18. I thought that if people knew that I had had an abortion, they would think I was a monster. They would not want to know me or love me, that my church would make us leave, and, and statistics show that one in three women will be affected by abortion in their lifetime. And so I began to understand why God wanted me to share, because it was not just my story, but it was so many of our stories. So many of us do not believe or understand how vast his love is for each of us. And so that is why he sent me back, and that is what we have been doing um, for the last six and a half years. I go into strip clubs and sit with my sisters, and I go into bridges with the homeless, and we've gone on national TV, and yet I've sat and held the hand of one person dying and getting ready to cross over, and I would say that that's probably my most favorite audience, the one that I get the most jealous of. And so that's what I have promised him that I will do until... Um, he calls me home, and, and this time I'll, I won't be turning back. I won't, I won't be saying, I'll be right back. Well, uh, Crystal, thank you very much. Uh, good point about jealous of the ones going home because uh, you've already tasted and seen that it is good. And uh, Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And, you know, that's not to say that death still um, does not affect me. I mean, I'm lost, I lost my best friend two years ago, and, you know, we want more time. You know, we want, we want more time. So I'm so happy for her, yet so sad um, for the time that I'm missing here. And, you know, death, is, it's hard. It, it's hard for those that are left behind, but it was the most, beautiful thing that I'd ever experienced and I always joke and say that the best day of my life was the day that I died yeah yeah I mean I'm sorry go ahead Julie no please do uh you mentioned towards the end of the book so much about the true nature of God that that yes what people believe here that so many have heard from the church or from other yes. Christians, and, and they're fearful, and he's a punishing God. And you talked all about how real and a loving God. Could you share a little bit more of that? Yes, absolutely. And, you know, I wasn't raised in just one denomination, and I think, you know, I thank my parents now for that. Um, 
But, you know, I can remember sitting in a church and being so afraid as a child, terrified of this hell and this damnation and this judging God. And I was so afraid of, of God. Jesus, I wanted. You know, Jesus, I thought I could, I could accept. And I, I didn't have the correlation as a child that they were both good. And then after, as a teenager, after my abortion, you know, I just thought, we waste in, of course, and I mean, in my human nature, I couldn't imagine what would be worse than ending a, a child's life. And um, that, you know, brought on so much guilt and shame. And, and I say in my book that I'm really not joking or exaggerating when I say that by the day I died, I had broken all ten commandments. I, I was the adulteress. I, I was the murderer, the thief, the liar. I mean, every aspect of what we're told not to do with who, who I was. And yet, and yet, he loved me. There was no punish, punishment. There was no damnation because of what I had done. Um, there was only his beautiful love. And it's because he heard that child calling out to him, begging him to love her as a small child, begging him to to save her, to be there with me. He knew me better than I could ever know myself. And I remember just knowing that not only does God love us, but he is love. Every time we experience love here as a human, we are experiencing the very nature of God himself. I had never, ever experienced that kind of love and will never on this earth apart from him. That's awesome. You know, another statement you made, you said God is real and we are all worthy of his love and salvation because he finds us worthy. Yes. Explain that, darling. Yeah. Well, you know, I, the day I died, I died with grudges and resentment towards people, and I was vengeful. And, I mean, if you took my pencil in first grade, I probably still remembered it. I did <laughs> not let go of grievances. I, you know, I was a fighter. And, of course, some of my biggest anger and resentment came from the person who hurt me so badly as a child. So when I came back from being bathed in this forgiveness and this love of, of God, what I found to be my biggest gift that God left me with was that I no longer harbored any of those ill feelings, that just as he had allowed me to see myself as how he created me, this perfect child, this perfect version, I began to be able to see other humans that way too. That does not excuse what was done to me, that does not excuse you know, consequences from people that hurt other people. Um, but he showed me how to forgive. And honestly, it freed, it freed me. It was like I was sitting in this jail cell for all of these years, and, and Christ had already paid my, my ransom, had already said, you can get up, you can walk out, you can leave. And yet I had chose to stay, you know, in this jail cell of unforgiveness and shame and resentment and anger and bitterness. And I came back and thought, why did I waste so much of this life that he gave me? Bad things happen. I mean, bad things happen every day. And there are times that I still go to him and say, I don't understand. 
I don't understand. But I have to hold on to what I do remember was that he's good and that he loves us. He loves the man that abused me just as much as he loves me. You know, we as humans, hard for us to fathom that, to understand, well, that's not fair. Brings me back to the scripture, you know, in the Bible where the men have worked all day and they're getting paid, but the, the master picks up another man or two right at the very end and they don't do as much work at all as, as the men that were there in the beginning, yet they get paid the same. You know, in the end, we all are worthy of him because he created us. And he never gives up. He never quits pursuing us. Yes, that is so the part true. that I love the most. Yeah. You know, Julie and I were talking about uh, some of the testimonies. We were laughing about how the Lord began to show you and the waitress with the $100. And could you share a couple of those? Yes. And, you know, this was even before, you know, before I had died, you know, here I had been married to my husband for a few years and um, really the first Christian, like I said, that I'd ever dated. And and I took my daughter to a pizza hut one day. She was third grade. And we walked in. I had a little free pizza coupon. I sat down and an elderly waitress brought me a drink. I think my tab was like a dollar. And as I sat there, this voice, whatever this was, it said, give her $100. Well, this was before I had died. I was extremely selfish with money. Um, We did not tithe. I did not give. Um, Very, very selfish. And there was no way that I was going to give this woman $100. But I actually started to think, oh, this is it. I'm, I'm finally going crazy. And so I called my husband, and he said, no, honey, that's, that's what God, that's God. Just do what he's asking and, of course, he was no help. I didn't want to give money away, and I continued to argue over and over. And after a while, it, it said, um, God said, just give her $50. And I remember thinking, okay, now we're getting somewhere. We're going down. And, and honestly, I think I thought I was in the middle of a nervous breakdown. And I called my husband several times, and he'd say, Crystal, I'm at work. I can't talk. Please just do whatever he's asking. And I remember thinking, what kind of husband tells his wife to give away money? Because a God told, you know, told her. And, and so when we left, I gave the waitress $10. And I remember thinking, that is an amazing tip for a drink. And we left. And as we were walking out to the car, um, God, I mean, was just all over me. And, of course, I didn't know that it was God at the time. And, and it was all over me. And it said I didn't, that's not what I asked you to do. And I got into the car. And there this presence was. And I remember calling my husband again. And he said, listen go back in, give her the money. And so I do. I have it wrapped in my hand. I leave my daughter in the car and I go in. And as I'm walking in, I remember thinking, well, at least this will make me look like a good person. And instantly he said, you tell her who it's from. And I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Ghost with Patrick Swayze and Whoopi Goldberg, but I giggle because this really reminded me, uh, looking back of that movie, on how Whoopi can hear him and she's talking to him and arguing with him in the parking lot. Nobody else can see what's going on. And that's really what I looked like. And I remember thinking or saying, oh, so now I'm going to walk in here. I'm going to look crazy. I'm going to give my money away. And I have to say this from God that I'm not even sure you're real. And and I'm going to go straight home and have my husband check me into a facility. And so I walked in and, and I handed her the money. She was getting ready to leave. And 
And I, I whispered, this is from God. And, of course, she was hard of hearing, and so I had to say it louder. And I remember being so embarrassed. And she took the money, and I left, and that was it. And I only told my husband and my girlfriend. And my girlfriend, who was a teacher with me, sometimes she would joke and say, did God tell you to give me any money today? Or um, did God tell you to give me your car? You know, just kind of joking. But you know, I was embarrassed. And three days later, my husband um, walked in on a conversation where some people were talking about what had happened in that pizza restaurant. And one of them was the manager of the restaurant. And he said, let me tell you, that woman had prayed that morning and she said, God, I don't even know if you're there or if you're listening, but if you are, will you help me make $100 today? Her husband had just lost his job. It was a week before Thanksgiving and she was trying to help get her older kids home for Thanksgiving. And she had only made $50 when her last table came in and only ordered a drink. You know, God really had asked me originally to answer her whole prayer. He did not just want her to have um, just $100. He, he wanted it, the whole prayer to be answered right then. Um, and I talked, I talked my way out of that. I gave her the $50, and she still ended up making $100 that day. But he wanted to go above and beyond. And that's something that I, I never really understood until after I died, is that he wants to bless us more than what we even ask for. But, you know, I allowed that situation to become a coincidence. For one moment, I believed that it was him and he was real, and then I talked myself out of it and began to believe that it was just a coincidence. And so I joke and say, you know, with years of, of God trying to talk to me and get my attention, and I would just chalk it up to a coincidence, it's no wonder that he finally had to stop my heart in a hospital room and allow me to spend 10 minutes with him that would change the course of my life. He kept pursuing and kept pursuing. And still does. Yes, in all of us, in all of us. Julie, here, I've been talking so much. Go ahead. <laughs> well, actually, all I was sitting here thinking was, uh, Crystal, would you like to pray over the people listening right now? I would, and thank you for allowing me to do that. Father God, I just thank you so much for the opportunity, Lord, that that not only when you instruct us to do something, but you equip the way Lord, I know that there are people that are listening right now that might have some of the same questions that I did. Where are you? What kind of God are you? Why don't you love us? And Lord, I ask that with a, the most sincere heart, Lord, that, that they hear your voice, that they be wrapped in that love, Lord, that none of us are, are beyond your reach, that you never quit pursuing us, that there is nothing that we can do that you will not always be right there loving us and wanting um, to help us through it. And so, God, for, for the women that are like so many others that I come in touch with that say I've never been able to tell anyone, Lord, I just bind those secrets and the shame. Um, I cast out the, in Jesus' name, um, the plan of the enemy no longer will they be silent, Lord, that they step forward um, in your beauty and know that you never did abandon them. 
that you were there with them and that you loved them with a love that is so unfathomable to our human mind. God, we thank you that you loved each one of us on that cross, that you loved us to death knowing um, who I was going to become, knowing what you were dying for and that it truly was for someone like me. And God, I just I thank you again for the opportunity to share and and um, we ask all of this and, and pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, Crystal, thank you for taking the time. Well, thank you for story. thank you for allowing me to. I appreciate it a bunch. I will be sure to connect your website uh, along with this testimony. Anybody that would like to make contact with you or read your read more of your story through your book and so forth. And just yeah, blessings thank again. Thank well, you, thank, thank you, you so much and enjoy your your kids' Awanas tonight. Thank you. Thank All you right. Well, that's Bye-bye. a wrap. And uh, blessings. All right. Bye you too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye.